0: Oh, it's coming on. Thanks. Uh, my name's Pete. My, I'm here with my wife Cindy. Uh, Cindy's brother is Al. Of course, Al, my brother-in-law. He was very instrumental, as I even mentioned last time, because it still rings true in my mind how Al was very instrumental back in 1982 when I placed my faith in Christ, and just such he was in, so instrumental in bringing me along in the with his gracious spirit into the grace and truth that was found in Christ Jesus. So. Very good memories that I've had with Al over the years. Last time I spoke here, we covered the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 5. And so we're just going to look at one verse in Romans chapter, or a couple of verses in Romans chapter 4, before we move on to Romans 6. So if you open up your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Romans. And we're going to pick it up right in Romans chapter 4. Last time I spoke, we mentioned that and taught that Romans chapters 1 through 3 describes the condemnation of man. And if we were to break those three chapters down, we look at the immoral man in chapter 1 and then the moral and the religious man in chapters 2 and 3. And then when we get to chapters 4 and 5, we understand justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And picking it up in Romans chapter 4, uh, I'll have a lot of the verses on PowerPoint. And I know that PowerPoint could be a little bit unusual for you. So last time I apologize for PowerPoint if you're not used to it. But I trust that uh, you would just bear with me on the PowerPoint slides. Or maybe some of you will actually say they're helpful. So Romans chapter 4. And let's read verses 4 and 5. Now let's pick it up in verse 1 and then we'll finish in verse 6. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Would you have a short word of prayer with me? Thank you, Father, for such clear passages. Even in the Old Testament, saints, Abraham and David, were not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can take heed to that as well. Recognize from this passage, Father, that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. I trust that he would get the uh, honor and glory with, before you, Father, and our hearts would be knit together around these truths the Spirit of God would work in our hearts to make them real as we walk in dependence upon you during this time this morning. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we notice in our passage here that the individual who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. So we all understand the principle if somebody works, they get a reward for that that individual is indebted to them to pay them for their work. But that's not how the plan of salvation works because it says, but to him who does not work, the individual who does not think he needs to gain the approval of God by something he can do, but in contrast to works, this verse makes it very clear that belief is not a work, by the way, but believes on him, The individual who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone can then say, I am justified or I've been declared righteous before a holy God. And that individual who is declared righteous is the ungodly one. I remember before or near around when I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, an individual from Al's church that I started attending said, Pete, are are you godly? And I said, no. So then he's told me, well, that makes you ungodly. And I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. And so individuals who are not like God, which would include all mankind, are ungodly. And the only way that us as ungodly individuals can be saved is being declared righteous by God as we believe in him. And therefore, at the end of the verse, it says, your faith in Christ is accounted, put to your account, for righteousness. You are declared righteous. And that's the understanding of Romans chapters 4 and 5. Just to give it a little diagram of our understanding here of Romans 4, 4 and 5, a lot of people think that, well, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did his 80% of the work, but I have to add my works to that. And those are thinking in terms of, I must do my 20%. And the difficulty with this is that no one ever knows if they've done their 20%. The understanding of being saved apart from works by grace is recognizing that the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one who did 100% of the work on the cross. And therefore, if he did 100% of the work, that wouldn't have you and me in the formula saying it's 0% me. Now, this would be of a humble heart to be able to say it's 0% me and 100% Christ, but that's what it takes in order to be saved, to be able to say my salvation is not dependent on anything that I can do, but it's totally on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think of individuals that have an 80 plus 20% salvation, they have a hope so salvation They have a maybe, I will get there. Like I said, you never know if you've done your 20%. But Jesus Christ, 100% and 0% me, is a no-so salvation. So this way of thinking is the mentality that salvation is by your works. This way of thinking here is the salvation that is found through Christ is all of grace. 100% Christ and 0% us. When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're believing in his person, he's the unique God-man, and we're believing that he did all the work for us, and that's when it, when we understand his work, he is the propitiation for our sins, or we understand it as the satisfactory payment for our sins. And one more thought to this, the hope-so-salvation is a process. Nobody would ever know if they've ever done their 20%, because... They're always thinking, what I can do to gain the approval of God, and they would never know. So the no-so salvation is, I possess eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that has to be clear in our thinking before we move on into Romans chapter 6. So if you could turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, and we look at verses 1 through 4, and we'll just read those. What shall we say then after we know that we've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And so that could be a logical conclusion knowing, well, if I'm 100% knowing that I'm saved by God's grace, can I go out and live like whatever the way I want to? And Paul cuts that off right here in Romans 6 and says, why would you want to do that? God forbid, and so he goes on to say in verse 2, certainly not, how shall we who died to the sin nature or sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us were placed into, and that's our understanding of the word baptized, placed into Christ, this is a dry baptism, who were into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, now we should walk in newness of life. When we get saved by God's grace, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So when we think in terms of all things have become new, I would like to have a slide here that is a wordless theology in understanding what it would mean that all things become new. So in describing this, obviously here we have, you know, a triangle up top that represents the God, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Of course, the cross on the left-hand side represents the cross of Christ. There is you and I walking in this current world system. The angel that I have up in the upper right-hand corner is Satan going about round to and fro seeking who may devour. And then of course, the sun, moon and the stars representing creation. When we recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up on a cross, he died for our sins, and he was buried, and he rose again. We know that his work is finished, because at the right hand of God, that's where he's sitting right now, God is totally satisfied with Christ's work, so he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father at this time. He's in the third heavens, fully man, right now, sitting there. And he's fully God. And this is the neat thing about the substance of our faith. There he is right now sitting there in the heavens for you and me as our mediator, as our advocate, as our intercessor, as our understanding of new life in Christ. Someday in the future, the next event on God's prophetic timetable will Christ will come back and receive us unto his own and will be raptured apart from this and will be raptured from this present evil age, this world system. And then after that we will, Answer to the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. So all these stick figures here, and I apologize if, you know, the stick figure does represent Christ, but I hope it's done in good taste. All those figures there represent the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to ask ourselves, when we start in Romans chapter 6, where are we in this picture? Here's the amazing thing. Where are we in this picture? Well, according to Romans chapter 6, what we just read, we died with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did we die with him, but we also are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus right at this time. That's how he views you and I in Christ Jesus. Take the book of Ephesians, for example, and you understand more about this new creation in Christ. We have all these wonderful spiritual blessings to live above the fray of this world system. All these spiritual blessings are found where? In Christ Jesus. And if you're a casual reader of your New Testament epistles, I don't mean just casual by being flippantly. I mean, you're just casually reading your New Testament. You will find the phrase in Christ repeated so many times or other uh, prepositions that would through Christ or before him. But in Christ is such a common thought. And we want to recognize when we're in Christ Jesus, like, wow, that's where I'm accepted in the beloved one. That's where I sit right now in the heavenlies in Christ. That's my identity. That's my union that I have with him. And when we think of identity, and there's such confusion in the world about identity, what a wonderful truth to bring on to our children or our grandkids that your identity is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to try to find your identity in the confusion that is offered in this world today. This is the substance of your faith. And of course, when the rapture occurs, we'll be raptured with him if we don't die physically before that. Even then, we'll go up with him as as a resurrected individual. And then we'll answer to him at the judgment seat of Christ. Now to further elaborate on this picture, when we get saved by the grace of God, that's when the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit is our personal illuminator, our inner teacher to to allow or to cause these truths centered around Christ to be our reality, our actuality. And how can we have the Spirit of God working in us? while well, we need a sword. If you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 to see this. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll just look at one verse right here. In verse 17 it says... Take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit. And so we ask ourselves, what does it say in the rest of the verse? What is the sword of the Spirit? What is the Spirit of God going to have to have in order to work in your heart? What is the Spirit of God going to work in conjunction with in order for Christ to be your reality in your daily life? Anybody want to tell me what that is? Okay. The Word of God. Amen. Amen. And so what does it say right there? It says the Spirit of God is going to be able to take the what? The Word of God in your thinking and make real these truths of Christ, past, present, and future. In the past, you know that Christ loved you and gave himself for you. You're identified with his death, burial, and his resurrection, and you have new life in Christ. That's where you are seated right now in the heavenlies. And the Spirit of God can make that real as you walk by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And in the future, that future rapture can be your reality as well by the power of the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of life, the life of Christ, that becomes our reality. So in order to see this, Look it back at Ephesians chapter five, if you would please. Just see it with a little bit more scriptural support. Notice, picking it up in verse 18 of chapter five. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice after it says be filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 19, These aspects are these fruits of the Spirit that come out in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Maybe verse 19 we could just put one word across verse 9 with speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Put the word joy there is joy a fruit of the Spirit. So you see the logicalness here. We have verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. What is the result of being filled with the Spirit? One of the fruits is joy and singing like we earlier did today. And then also notice in verse 20, we're to give thanks. Fruit of the Spirit is because we're so thankful for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God's making it real, so you can have this, you know what, I'm so thankful for all that Christ has done for me in the past, in the present and the future. And then notice the word submitting to one another in the fear of God. So we have three things that we could say are fruits of the Spirit is joy, thankfulness, and mutual submission to one another. So when we understand what the Spirit's role is here, it's very empowering, isn't it? But the Spirit of God needs something to get a hold of and you're thinking. The sword of the Spirit is the... Word of truth. So now look over at Colossians chapter 3, if you would please. Keep these thoughts of the Spirit in mind in Ephesians 5, and look at Colossians chapter 3. Notice in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and always. And the idea of dwell is feeling at home. You are able to say, you know what, Lord? I'm not wanting to be occupied with self in this world system. I want to be desire to be humble before you, so that the word of Christ feels at home in my heart. And so when it says let, that's an appeal to grace, isn't it? It's a gracious appeal. It's an appeal to say. Wouldn't you allow the word of Christ to dwell in you? Wouldn't you allow, in light of Christ, and all that he's done is doing and will do for you, wouldn't you allow the word of Christ to dwell in you and feel at home? And when that's the case, look at the results in Colossians 3.16. It says in verse 16, When it dwells in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, does that sound very familiar to what we just read? I could use a couple head nods, okay. And where did, what did we just read in Ephesians 5? We read, let's just put the songs and hymns and spiritual songs, let's put the word joy there. How did joy come about in Ephesians 5.18? Somebody has to tell me. By the what? By the Holy Spirit. How does joy, the same exact thoughts of joy in the singing and psalms and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, how does joy Joy come in Colossians 3:16 through, through the word. Do you see the conjunction here? Do you see how the spirit of God is the sword that takes the word of God to make what real your joy? And so when it when it talks in the word of God about our sufficiency not being of ourselves, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but it's of the Lord. The next verse says, he is able he has made us able ministers what how Not of the law, but of the spirit, for the law is going to what? It's going to kill you in your Christian life. It's going to take away your what? Your joy and your thankfulness. But it's of the spirit because the spirit is going to animate who in your life? Christ, the life of Christ, the supernatural life of Christ. And we say supernatural, what do we mean by supernatural? above natural right super our natural thinking doesn't go to those three things right there that are lit up on the. do they does the natural man understand anything about you see where the illuminated spots are of christ in the past and the present does the natural man know anything about the finished work of christ in the past does the natural man know anything about that your life is hid with christ in the heavenlies and that you're enjoying that they don't look at you like what planet are you on what on earth? And you're thinking, you know, my, my life is not on earth here. It's in the heavenlies. In I'm just cruising through this earthly system. Praise God for that, right? In light of all the things we're seeing in the world today. Praise God that I can have a above natural life in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And that my future isn't dependent upon the next election. Or the next economic blowout or whatever. Where is my future dependent? What's more real? What has substance for me? It's my future understanding that I'll go home to be with the Lord forever and ever, where righteousness will dwell forever. How long will righteousness... We'll have right thinking all the time in the kingdom and the new heavens and the earth forever and ever and ever. Can the Spirit of God make that real in our daily life? How does that happen? Let the Word of Christ be at home in your thinking day in and day out. And then, notice verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see the parallel again here? There's joy and that understanding of the fruit of the Spirit, and then there's giving of thanks. And then we get right into individuals submitting to one another. Wives' submission, husbands' loving, children' obeying. So back to Ephesians. Romans chapter 6, if you would, please. And before we look at some more texts on Romans 6, let's just look at how this is fulfilled in this understanding of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and the Spirit of God, making the word of Christ, the things of Christ, real to you. This comes out then, just finishing up here and your understanding of how does that work out practically in my daily life? Well, the Lord gives us commands or directionals. When you're allowing Christ to be your all in all in first place in your thinking, do you think you're in a ready condition of mind to respond to the commands in the, or is it like twisting your arm? See when you're allowing the love of Christ to constrain you and compel you and control you, now you're willing to say, "Here am I, Lord? What areas do you want to use me? What directionals have you given in the word of God? And my understanding, there's five different areas of horizontal life that you can be used or the Lord can work in and through you to be able to say, I want to respond to this directional or this command in my life. One of those areas is human government. There's definitely some sections in the New Testament epistles where to obey the government. We ought to obey God rather than men when it comes to something contrary to the will of God. Another area, as we just looked at in Ephesians and Colossians, is our family. Husbands loving, wives being submission, and children being obedient. And there's a lot more understanding to that. But can those commands be a delight in the home because the home is dominated by the love of Christ? Amen. Amen. And then there's directionals concerning the one anothers That's why the arrow is back and forth. And so today, we're having a, a fellowship dinner. And so there's a lot of one another's between one believer and the other. And a lot of the text regarding one another's is, is about loving one another because of the love of Christ moving you in your heart. And so we think of a fellowship dinner afterwards. We think in terms of what a delight that'll be to have this meal and have an understanding of loving one another because why we're all in the body of Christ and then there's our understanding of those that are lost we want to walk in wisdom towards those that are outside redeeming the time we want to recognize people are need to be saved by the grace of God they need to understand the finished work of Christ and we can be used in that capacity in our lives and then, of course, there's the, the area of our employer-employee relationship. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. When it comes to being an employee in terms of not with eye service as men-pleasers, but serving the Lord. And then there's the individual who is the employer. He has to recognize, you know, I want to be just and fair to my employees because I also have a master in heaven. And so these are the five areas that the Lord wants to use and direct in your life as a result of Christ being your joy. You're so thankful for him. And it comes out in these aspects of obedience to these commands. Now let's add some words to our picture for those that would rather relate to some words. So I live by faith in the Son of God in the present. Where is he right now in the heavenlies? He's there with me in light of what he's done for me in the past, as I look to him for the future. That's our walk of faith, past, present, and future. And so what happens when this is the case, now I'm in a ready condition of mind to respond in character. When you think of fruits of the spirit, those are all character qualities, aren't they? You think of tender mercies, and kindness, humility, and gentleness, and suffering and peace, and joy in your life. These are character qualities that are part of your whole life as a result of walking by faith in the Son of God. Then, when you're responding in character, now you can conduct yourself in this present evil age with great victory in Christ Jesus. So what is it first? It's Christ developing character in your life as you conduct yourself in your sphere of influence in this present evil age. So now Romans chapter 6 and our time is running short so we'll only get to a few verses today but trust that the understanding of those verses would even make this Romans 6 passage come out even more clear. So in Romans chapter 6 it says in verse 4 and there's our smaller highlighted picture there. Verse 4 it says therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death and this is a dry baptism that were identified with Christ Jesus in his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. If I could draw your attention, that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now one word that I like in terms of replacing the word glory is the awesomeness of the Father. And I know the word awesome is used kind of Whatever and whatever degree, but if we can think in terms of the glory of the Father is the awesomeness of the Father, which would cause us to stand in awe of Him. And when we think of the glory of God, we think of the glory of God in the Old Testament. We think of glory of God in the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We think of His attributes, and so we have the triangle represent the glory of God, and we think of His attributes. We think of Him being sovereign. He's righteous. He's just. He's love. He's eternal life. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's immutable and he's veracious or he's veracity. He is truth. So that's the glory of the Father. But when we just know his attributes, I want to know how he has shown his attributes towards me. If you know somebody's got these great character qualities, but if you never see them in your life, then you're kind of like, well... That's good, but I want to know how do those character qualities ever come out for me. And when we think of the glory of the Father. What we're thinking of now is this is our understanding of what attribute would you put in there when it says that Christ was raised from the dead by the what particular aspect of his attributes would you say he was raised from the dead by. what? Ask, he's a glorious God. He's got all those attributes. Which particular one would you pick out of all those attributes would you put in there that Christ was raised from the dead? His what? Okay, so I, I'm either, t- my wife, I probably told you this last time, right? Every time I ask the audience a question, she says, you know, they, there's like a dozen different answers. So would you make it more clear what your question is. So if you were to pick one of the attributes of his glory, that Christ was raised from the dead, which one would stand out in your mind? Okay. His, his. Right on, you got it. Omnipotence, amen. His power, right? And so this is the amazing thing here. And so when we have a new when we're a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We know that we are a new creation in, life, in him, and this is the newness of life. Right there is where I'm sitting there in the heavenly. I was raised with Christ. I'm sitting there in the heavenlies. I'm saved from the old life to the new life. And now my point is, when, we, when you have you ever heard about the resurrection power? Right? I mean, how is that a reality in our minds? This is it right here. The resurrection power is understood right in our first understanding in Romans chapter 6 of our position in Christ. It's right there that I was raised up and I'm alive and I'm a new creation in Christ. That's powerful. Do you know anything on the news or the media or in this world system that says, you know what, I'm identified with uh, someone who has been resurrected in the third heavens, first heavens being here, around here, in, the, in our, um, you know, below the, the, the atmosphere, and then there's the galaxies, the second and the third heaven. That's where you and I live in Christ. Is that powerful? Is it, To know that you're living above this present evil age, the muck and ruck of this world system, and that your identity is there in Christ, that you have newness of life. Can the Spirit of God make that real in your daily life? Is that going to put joy and thankfulness in your heart? Amen. That's the power of the rest. That's the victory. That's where we always triumph. We can always triumph where? In Christ Jesus. Always. We don't have to kowtow to this world system and all the philosophies of this world. You can know that you're complete in Christ Jesus. Our lives are hid with Christ Jesus. When Christ appears, what? We'll appear with him in glory. These are the truths that the spirit of God wants to make real in our daily lives and pass on to our kids and grandkids. According to 2 Corinthians 5:17, what's the one thing there that we should keep doing? What's our responsibility in chapter 5 verse 17 there? What's the one thing in order to just keep this afresh in our thinking? I, you know, I used to be a school teacher and I used to teach all a bunch of high school kids and they were always afraid to answer. And I said, it doesn't matter. Who cares if we're right or wrong? Let's kind of get with the flow of it, but maybe I'm pressing it too much, so. If you believe in me. If you believe in me, amen. So what would be, a, in, in, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen? what one word after you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ would you want to keep doing? You want to keep believing? Or what word would there would be kind of the same idea? Behold, right on. Thank you. It's going to be late for dinner here, I think. <laughs> what, do we, what do we do in our Christian lives? Don't get preoccupied with the horizontal. Don't get preoccupied with the horizontal first, I should say. Don't get concerned with, you know, I better get out to church today. I better bring a meal. I better da da, da. I better listen to this guy. Da, da, da. You know what? The whole Christian life is beholding our Savior. And can the Spirit of God make you thankful to hear the Word of God and to thankful with the one and others and thankful and have joy and thankful for singing? Amen. To behold. And that's powerful, folks. That's where we live in the heavenlies, right there in our daily walk. And then we'll get to one more verse here this morning, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon, that's add up in your mind, yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive to God, where? Where are we alive to God? There's that phrase right there, in Christ Jesus, our awesome Lord. Notice it says we're dead there. We're dead indeed to sin the sin nature. And also, we're dead to this world system. You see, we're dead to the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the victory. It's found in Christ Jesus. But one great cause of feebleness and backsliding is the power of circumstance. Notice, I'm dead to the sin nature internally, but I'm also dead to this world system, because I live above it in the heavenlies, And what's the word circumstance mean? circle, And I stand in this present evil system, don't I? But I don't have to live there spiritually. I don't have to trust my circumstances. They could be good or bad, come what may. I might be abounding, and I think that a lot of believers in America abound. But I might be abased. But I can do all things through who? Whose strength, where's the strength? The strength is right there in the power that I'm alive in him. That's the resurrection power. That's the strength that the Spirit of God makes real and actualizes in your life. So the unsaved have known nothing of this. The unsaved try to dream away better circumstances, like this song, the secular song here called A Million Miles Away. So this is apparently some popular rock band. And here's the lyrics. There was a time looking through myself, wanting to pretend if I escaped, I could fill myself. I don't think you can. I can't escape, he's saying. Been far and wide, but that hole inside never really leaves. When I went away, what I really left, when I tried to dream about some better circumstances, what did I always leave behind? I couldn't take myself, I always had to deal with the reality of the circumstance I was in. See, as a believer in Christ, you have the reality of being far away. Christ, you're victor. So one Christian song or lyric says it this way. Maybe you're a believer here and you felt like you're a million miles away from the Lord. But the Lord hasn't seen you as a million miles away. So the song says, A million miles of my mistakes still couldn't keep your love away. See, love's with an everlasting love. We're always accepted in the beloved. That's why we know we're eternally secure in Christ. However far away I am from home, enjoying that dwelling place, that's how far your love will go. I turn around and I see pure compassion in your eyes. Savior's voice says to me, Time to come back home, my child. See, we're free from all guilt and shame, no matter what our past is, or even as a believer, no matter what mistakes or shame we had in the past. We can know that thanks be to God that Christ paid for all those sins. I'm accepted in the beloved, and I want to walk with him and enjoy his communion Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I downloaded a commentary by Spurgeon not too long ago, and um, it was a commentary in Colossians, but he said this about your position in Christ. He said, live in thy father's love. Wow, that's where we live, right there. Unconditional love. Isn't that the kind of love we want to offer our children and still give them directions. That's the kind of love the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. It's unconditional. That's why Jude 121, keep yourself in the love of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Allow the love of Christ to move you in your daily life and what he's done for you in the past, present, and future. I love what Ryrie says about the resurrection power. He says this, The resurrection power is dependent upon being alive in Christ Jesus that's it right there I'm alive in him that's powerful and will he'll take us home to be with him someday that will be powerful that'll be like a dream come true would you pray with me thanks father for your word and our understanding in Romans chapter 6 and that we're new creations in Christ Jesus. Pray, Father, for here, anybody that has not understood that salvation is by faith alone apart from works, they would can their 20% and recognize Christ did it all. He was a satisfactory payment for their sins. Thanks, Father, for the body of believers here and like precious faith that we can have a commonality around the things of Christ, what he's done for us in the past, in the present, and what he'll do for us in the future, delivering us from this age forever, Lord. We would allow this love of Christ to move us and allowing the Spirit of God to make these things real in our lives so we could have joy in our lives, thankfulness, and a great one another time. And we just pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.
1: Um, you can stand again, take your hymnals, and turn to page two. We'll sing How Great Thou Art.